1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll read verse 18, then we'll read verse 19 together. The Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers together, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning just simply entitled this, Things That Are Precious. Things that are precious. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the Bible. Thank You for the truths that are in it. And Lord, today I pray that You would uh, work, uh, help us, Lord, to get our hearts in tune and in line with Yours. God, we're so busy. We're so distracted. Lord, we have so many things that call for our passion and our attention. And God, if we're not careful, we uh, give You not what's right, but we end up giving You what's left. Lord, help us this morning to be locked in, and, and God, uh, the message is going to go a, a bunch of different directions, but Lord, work in each heart as you see fit. Lord, help us to be malleable and tender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good crowd this morning. I have a, um, a sermon that is on paper quite a bit shorter than normal. I plan on us being out of here a few minutes earlier than normal. We'll see if that plays out that way. Sometimes what I want and what happens don't always line up, but uh, that's the hope this morning. Um, Precious, things that are precious. I hope the sermon this morning will encourage you. I hope when you walk out of here this morning, your heart is uh, encouraged. And I know some of you are carrying some some struggles in life. Uh, there There are people, I'll classify this way, there are people who are mostly happy, mostly joyous, and they hit a hard time, and their joy comes down some, and then when they get through the hard time, they go back to being a joyous and happy person. There are other people, you've just lived a hard life, and your baseline is that you emotionally struggle. You go through some hardships. Whether you are someone who lives with a rain cloud over your head and over your spirit, or someone who just happens to be in a season of life right now, I hope this sermon will encourage you. If you're here today and you're in a good place emotionally and spiritually, praise the Lord, there's going to be things in the message today to encourage you as well. The word precious is defined this way, uh, pertaining to being of considerable value or worth. Pertaining to being of considerable value or worth. The word precious is found 19 times in the New Testament, twice in the Gospels, describing the ointment anointing Jesus' body, six times in the books of Corinthians and Revelation, used to describe the stones used in heaven. Once the word precious is found in the book of James to describe the last souls saved prior to the rapture, and the other seven times uh, was used by the Apostle Peter. Now, that seems odd to me. Uh, Precious is a soft-sounding word, and Peter was not a soft person. Uh, Peter was a rugged fisherman. Peter was saved from having a foul mouth. You could say Peter spoke the way uh, that sailors speak, because he was 
in many ways a sailor. And you may remember when uh, Peter quit the ministry uh, after Jesus resurrected from the dead and he felt unworthy and he, he said, I go a fishing in the end of the book of John. And uh, what, where does Peter go? He goes right back to the boat and they're, they're there fishing and Jesus is on the shore. You remember this? And Jesus, uh, John and Peter say, uh, uh, John says to Peter, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the master, that's the Savior. And the Bible says about Peter that he was naked. What does that mean? Probably just meant he didn't have his shirt on, right? He went right back to the lifestyle he had lived prior to having met Jesus. And Peter was not someone who would throw around the word precious. When I think of a guy who's rough and gruff, maybe I think of a motorcycle rider, right, with a leather coat and a big body and, you know, a tattoo of mom right here on his arm, right? And uh, he's, uh, you know, just riding down the road, maybe a cigarette uh, uh, in between his lips and, um, got the big scraggly hair. and You don't picture a guy with a deep growly voice talking about things that are precious, right? And uh, maybe you think of a UFC fighter. Um, my wife and I had this debate when we first got married. It was the debate, debate of, is WWF real? All right? Uh, now, if you know my wife, she's just tender and sweet, and she is precious. I mean, she really is. But uh, when she was a teenager, she loved to watch wrestling. I don't know why, but... She got into wrestling, and my poor gullible wife thought that that was real. And uh, I would tell her, that, listen, that's, that stuff is fake. And she'd say, no, it's not. It's real. And I said, well, why do they change camera angles every time the you know, contact is supposedly made? And she just didn't want to hear it. And uh, I, uh, I'm not someone to watch UFC, but it happened. I was flipping through the channels one day, and it happened to be on the TV for all of about 60 seconds. And she walked through the living room as some guy was just wailing on another guy and saliva and blood flying everywhere. And she goes, oh, what is that? And I said, that's real right there. She goes, okay, you win. You're right. Um, I don't picture a guy on a UFC mat throwing around the word precious. And when I think of the word Peter, when I think of Peter, I just don't think of a man who would normally use that word. You say, which of Jesus' apostles that wrote, uh, helped write the Bible, would have used the word precious, and that would have been John, right? John is the one that laid his head on Jesus' bosom or Jesus' breast. He was the one who never married. Most likely, he was born a eunuch and just gave his life to serve the Lord and was very close to Jesus. He describes himself in his own book, the Gospel of John, as the one whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved. Now, uh, John wrote three epistles to the church, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And Peter, rough and gruff Peter, he wrote two epistles uh, to the church. And uh, that was 1st and 2nd Peter. But oddly enough, John does not use the word precious. But Peter uses the word precious over and over again. Again, seven times we find that word precious coming from the pen of Peter. We all have people and possessions that we greatly cherish. These things are precious to us. We value them greatly. We guard them with our hearts and our lives. Um, you ever, any of you here like me and ever have a fear that your loved one is going to get in a car and uh, get into an accident and then you, you, you're either not going to see him again or you're going to see him in a different state? And sometimes I have that fear and my wife and kids climb in the car. My wife takes our kids to school in, in, in Wallingford. And every day when they leave, I, I bow my head and I say, Lord, keep them safe as they travel up and back. I would hate to lose my family, all three of them in the car, 
at one time. Lord, please put your angels around that car and keep them safe. And sometimes I go out and check the lug nuts and make sure they're extra tight on those tires and stay on top of making sure that the oil has been changed and all those things. And uh, they're precious to me. Maybe you have a safe in your house where you keep your documents in case there's a fire. Those documents would be safe and protected. Why? Because those documents are precious to us. We're going through the immigration process with my mom-in-law right now and working to get her here and her green card and all that. And uh, they asked for our original marriage license. And I said, no, you can't have our original marriage license. And, 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 and why? Well, and I asked, well, are, are we going to get it back? And they said, well, maybe. And I said, then you can have a copy of our marriage license. And I ordered a document from uh, the um, Baltimore County where we got married and had them send me a copy so we could give to them. Why? Because that document to me with the original handwriting on it is precious. It's precious. Uh, Some years ago we moved uh, from uh, up here in Connecticut. We lived in Terryville and we moved to Hagerstown, Maryland. And we moved all of our stuff into the basement of this house. And lo and behold, a flood came through and filled that basement with all kinds of mud water. Well, uh, we lost a whole lot of our uh, things in that move and uh, in that flood. But one of the things that I just did not want to lose was Angela's wedding dress. Her, her, her wedding dress was uh, just uh, folded up neatly and put in a, a, a garbage bag and was covered in mud. And Angela said, just throw it out. And I said, no, no, to me, that dress is important. That's the dress that you wore when we got married. And I took that down to a shop and I spent big money to have them uh, clean it and, and get all the mud out and get it back to the way it looked as close as possible, then box that thing up. And every time we move, Angela says, why do you hold on to that thing? Because to me it is precious it is precious and we all have things and people that we cherish that are precious we value them greatly we guard them with our hearts and lives all the things my question to you this morning is this are the things that are precious to you precious to God are the things that are precious to you precious to God Do you have things or people in your life that serve it as as a distraction to what God desires in your life? Let me ask it to you this way. Here's another angle to ask the same question. You listening? You ready? Are the things that are precious to God precious to you? You see, as I walk with God and spend time with God, what's important to God becomes important to me. Where we have a a, a rift here is that you and I can care about things that God just really doesn't care about. God can care about things that you and I just don't really care about. And oh, my friend, that's a problem. We need to care about what God cares about. We need to value what God values. We need to put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis. We need to put our attention and time and energy where God wants us to put our energy and attention and time. Sometimes I believe that we're uh, too tired uh, and we don't have the resources, whether that would be uh, money or uh, time or our God-given gifts at salvation. We don't have that to give to the work of the Lord because we're too exhausted pursuing things that to the heart of God just really doesn't matter. God chose rugged rough, redneck, and to be honest, prejudiced Peter to talk about things that are precious. 
And we're going to look at the five things that he described in his two epistles this morning that he labeled as such. Let's jump in this morning and notice, number one, he says first, the blood of Jesus is precious. The blood of Jesus is precious. Look at First Peter chapter 1 and look at verse number 18. The Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain lifestyle or conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, look here, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Here Peter compares the blood of Christ with things that we value greatly. Silver and gold and inheritances passed down through the wealth of your family. Peter says those things are corrupted. They're corrupted. Look back at verse 18. He says, for as much as you know you're not redeemed with corruptible things. What things, Peter, are corruptible? Well, silver and gold and uh, those things that you receive in your lifestyle from the traditions, the inheritances of your father. And, and listen, we all grieve when we have a loved one pass away, uh, but uh, it, it sure is nice when they have uh, socked away some money and stowed away uh, some funds and uh, that windfall comes to us and we have some money left behind to be able to help us. And uh, listen, those things uh, are, are great and they're wonderful, but they're corruptible and they disappear and they fade away. And uh, you hear about athletes or celebrities that make what they call generational wealth. And I'm always amazed that in two or three generations, sometimes less than that, that money is gone. Why? Because it's corruptible. And Peter says, hey, listen, those things are corruptible. Those things are faulty. They may seem important to you. They may be precious to you, but they cannot take away a single sin from your life. How precious is the blood of Jesus? To answer this question, we must understand how intense God's hatred is toward our sin. People say, how could a loving God send someone to a place described in the Bible as hell? And I would say to you that God is both love and He is just. And in His justice, He hates our sin. And He is committed to punish our sin. Someone says, well, hell... Sounds like a horrible place, and it absolutely is a horrible place. It's a place of fire. It's a place the Bible describes where the worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. The rich man in Luke, as he fell through the flames of hell, he cried out that just one drop, one drop of water would, would touch his tongue. Just one drop. Hell is a place of great dryness. Hell is a place of great horror. There is no party in hell. There is nothing but torment for eternity. Someone says, how could God create such a place? The answer to that question is simple. Hell represents just how much God hates your sin. We become aloof to it and we become used to it. And in a lot of ways we are desensitized to sin. We'll tell a lie and shrug our shoulders at it, well, it's just a little white lie. We'll, uh, we'll take something that doesn't belong to us, and then we'll justify as to why we did it. We'll use language that is, uh, uh, that is uh, tort sideways, wrong, uh, uh, wicked. Uh, we'll, we'll throw God's name around in, in great vanity, and, 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 or we'll hear it and we'll shrug our shoulders at it. 
My friend, God hates that. How precious is the blood of Jesus? It's so precious that God uses it to wash away your sin and save you from hell. Isn't that great? I want you to imagine, and this won't be hard to imagine, I first heard this illustration when I was just a young man, 16 years old. And this, this illustration seemed overly sensational and next to impossible. But now that we've gone through the coronavirus, I think we can all maybe picture something like this happening. Imagine that we have a strain, a virus, break out that is far more, even far more deadly than the coronavirus is. And that virus breaks out uh, in the middle of, uh, let's just say, the middle of the Amazon jungle in Brazil. Coming home from work one day and you turn on the radio and, and you hear them talking about a few isolated cases and how that uh, it's wiping out villages and how people are dying. And you think, oh my, I sure hope they're able to get that contained. I sure hope they're able to help those people. You turn on the news the next week and it isn't just a few isolated villages in Brazil. It's spread across the entire nation of Brazil and now they're doing everything they can to contain it and keep it from spreading to Paraguay and Uruguay and Peru and Ecuador. And they're trying their best to keep it contained there in that country. And you turn on the news a few days later, now it's not just a problem in Brazil. Now they're shutting down international flights. And uh, they are. Uh, 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 it's now spread across South America and making its way into Central America. Then a case pops up in the U.S. and a case pops up in Europe. And now there's a case in Africa and over in, in Asia. And, 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 and people are dying left and right. This is not uh, like the coronavirus where you can get better. No, uh, you have about three weeks to live and then it just takes you out and uh, it affects everyone the same and uh, doctors are scrambling to come up with something uh, in order to find a cure and, and they, they say we're close we just need a very specific blood type, a very specific DNA strain in order to finish making uh, this, uh, uh, th- this uh, cure-all uh, th- this, uh, this, um, uh, this solution, uh, everybody get in your car and go to the hospital and we're going to call you in one family at a time and we're going to check until we find just the right blood type and lo and behold lo and behold they call your family in and they call you in and they check you and no everything's good there you're not the one and they check your spouse and no nothing there your spouse is not the one and then they pull in your eight-year-old son and he is the only one that has the blood type the dna strand that can make the cure for everyone in the world but there's a problem. You see, if your eight-year-old was an adult, then there would be a way to keep him alive. But because he's so small, they're going to need every drop of blood. The doctors pull you in and they sit you down and they say, we need you to sign this form. We need you to sign the life of your son over so that his uh, life can save the world. And, and, and now it's either uh, you give up your son and, 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 and let the world uh, be cured or you can hold on to your son and run the risk that he'll get the virus anyway and die and the rest of the world will die. What are you going to do? And your son says, Dad, I'll do it. Mom, I'll do it. Please, put your name on the line. I am willing to die so that the world's population can be saved. And you pick up your pen, and with trembling hand, you sign on that dotted line. And they take your son back, and he gives his life 
Now, there's a lot of holes in that story. I'll admit that up front. Medically, it doesn't hold water. I get all that. But do you see the parallel with what Jesus did for us? You see how that He was the only one whose blood could wash away our sin? You see, I can't die in your place because I'm a sinner. But Jesus, he had, he had a blood that was un- incorruptible. And He was able to shed it all so that your sin, disease, could be washed away. Peter, can you tell us about some things that are precious? Yes, Peter says, the blood of Jesus is precious. Peter, what else is precious? Number two, notice, the foundation of the church is precious. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 with me in verse number 4. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4. The Bible says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, to, go, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now we know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the foundation of the church. And we'll talk more about Jesus in just a moment. Uh, But Peter, what else is precious, you ask? He says the foundation of the church is precious. Uh, Turn over to Acts chapter 20 in your Bibles this morning. Uh, The foundation of the church is precious. No, I love this. There's many ways that you can visualize this. We've all seen relay races where a baton is handed from one uh, runner to the next. And what happens is one runner starts running uh, and jogging. And as he approaches, the, the one running to him approaches, and they're running at the same time. And while they're both running, the baton is handed off, and that guy runs. And then uh, the same thing, uh, the next guy has a, a lane, uh, a space he starts to speed up in, and the baton is handed off. And listen, uh, that baton passing has happened since the church was started there uh, with the disciples. And uh, they have passed on the baton generation after generation. Here we are some 2,000 years later, and we're still pre preaching the good book. We're still preaching the Word. We're still elevating truth. We're still seeing people get saved. We're still helping sinners. Uh, We're still encouraging one another. We're still uh, shining the light of the Gospel truth in the community here and the community abroad. And listen, Jesus has not been here for 2,000 years in the flesh, but my friend, the church is still moving forward. Oh, the church is precious. Now, the foundation of the church uh, were the disciples. That was very clear. Jesus was the church, uh, chief cornerstone. And the first apostles, they laid out the foundation. And each, uh, each succinct generation has added layer after layer after layer of this building, of this uh, a metaphorical building. And the church is precious to the Lord. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. The Bible says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Look here. He's speaking to that foundation, the disciples, the apostles. He says, To feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. Oh, wow. How much do you have to love something to give up your own blood for it? Let me just be clear this morning. To a a Christian, skipping church should not be an option. Should not be an option. 
Going solo without church should not be an option. Uh, you need to get plugged in physically to a church. I'm so glad we've gotten past uh, the height of the pandemic and now we're back in the church building because listen there's nothing quite like sitting on a pew and being present in a church building and interacting with people and loving on each other uh, instead of uh, sipping coffee in your pajamas on the couch amen watching pastor Lejeune preach to an empty room I, I hated that amen uh, but I'm glad you're here and uh, some of you wish you were back home on your couch and your 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 uh, your your onesie right the how many have you seen these adult onesies that zip up but anyway I'm getting off track um the uh, the uh, the pajamas, and if you haven't seen them, go to Walmart. People love to wear their pajamas at Walmart. But um, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, listen, we 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 have to have church. Now, someone says, "Well, uh, but I I can worship God and not go to church." And I would say that's true, but that still isn't God's intent. Someone says, well, uh, I can worship God out in nature, uh, uh, or I can worship God uh, in my home, and you ought to do those things. I'm all for those things. But church was not invented by a man. Barry Brown in 1979 moved to Stratford, and in April of 1980, White Oak Baptist Church was established. Can I tell you, uh, uh, Barry Brown, as much, I love the man. He's, he's great. Spoke with him on the phone this last week. Barry Brown did not found White Oak Baptist Church. The Lord Jesus Christ used Barry Brown, and the Lord Jesus Christ founded White Oak Baptist Church. Hey, listen, you're not doing me a favor by showing up. You're, you're fulfilling the purpose of, of, of being a Christian by being here because to the Lord, the church is precious. The church is precious. He purchased it with His own blood. Letter A, notice the people that make up the church are precious. The people that make up the church. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. The Bible says, notice, or rather notice that on the foundation of the church is added lively stones. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, Ye also, speaking about me and you, all right, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I just got this visual in my mind. How many of you ever ridden down a highway and seen the sign that says, Caution, falling rocks? You ever seen those? That's uh, unsettling, isn't it? Right, this big boulder is going to come flying off the side of the mountain and uh, knock knock my car off the the road or cr- land on top of my hood and, and crush me. That's a scary thing. Uh, are you a falling rock or are you a settled rock? Are you in and out of church and wishy washy and double minded, or are you locked in your place and not going anywhere? You ought to be cemented down. Over at my house, we have a, a, a walkway uh, that goes uh, around to our back door. And there are large, uh, it, was, it was an aesthetic thing, large uh, or rather wide rocks that are various shaped and, and they were mortared down. And through the many winters in Connecticut, since those were put down many years ago, there's been a lot of expanding and contracting and expanding and contracting. And then you have the snowfall, and, and then you got the snow shovels that have been scraped over the top. You know, some of those rocks are quite loose. I could go over and pick them up and just hurl them. And you know what Satan is looking for? He's looking for you to become unsettled at church so he can just come pick you up and just hurl you out of church. Hurl you right out of church. And he wants to sell you the lie that you don't need church. He wants you to hyper-focus on some hypocrisy 
of some individual at church. He wants you to hyper-focus on some hurt, church hurt that happened in your past. And my friend, listen, those aren't the things we focus on. Christ purchased the church with His own blood. He purchased you with His blood. And He wants you to be mortared down into church and not go anywhere. You say, well, you don't know what such and such said to me. Okay. Have you ever said something offensive to someone? Well, you don't know the hypocrisy in this brother or sister's life. And you don't have any hypocrisies in your life? Can we just get real here this morning? You say, well, I saw this, that, and the other, and it just wasn't right. Okay, let's put your life under a magnifying glass, and let's see how right you've been your whole life. You know what this church is? It's a place where broken people come to get help. And you know what broken people do? Sometimes they misbehave. You say, well, that was the church leader. Okay, all right. Do this right here. Everyone ball your fist up like this. Ball your fist up. All right, now ready? Open it up. Let it go. Move on. Back in 1989, Pastor Brown didn't shake my hand on the way out the door. Okay, you'll be all right. Someone said something to a family member of mine and it was offensive. Let it go. It's all good. Move on. You've been offensive at some point in your life. It's okay. All right? You've got to let it go. The people are precious. Even the ones that you don't like. Hey, look, I've gone to church long enough to know that the brighter the light, the more strange bugs you attract. And uh, churches have some strange bugs in them, don't they? You go, that guy's weird or that lady's weird or strange. You say, yeah, I know some people like that. If you're thinking that's probably you, amen? You're probably the one, all right? Someone said to me one time, you're a nerd. I said, I know I'm a nerd. You just have to accept me the way I am, all right? We all, we all can be weird and are, or nerdy in our own way. And, and, and listen, learn to show some grace to people. Why? Because the people of the church are precious. The Bible says we're lively stones. And the next generation is going to be built upon us. I don't want my son and my daughter to look at me in 20 years and say, well, I'm in church, but Dad's not in church. Or, I'm not in church because Dad was a hypocrite at church. Or, Dad was a hypocrite at home. No, I want to be that foundation that is built yet upon. And my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren are in church because Dad, Grandpa, Great-Grandpa was faithful to the Lord and he did his part to be part of that foundation. Let her be. We see the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church. Go to 1 Peter 2. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies, and envies, and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Churches that help shield us from hypocrisy, envying, and evil speaking. Church is a place where babes in Christ are fed the milk of the Word. Church is a place of continued spiritual growth. Church is a place where we taste of the Lord's grace. Peter, uh, can, can you tell us some things that are precious? He says the blood of Jesus is precious. He says the foundation of the church is precious. And I would say, yes, Peter, church has been awfully, awfully good to this old sinner right here. Some years ago, I preached a sermon entitled, What to Do When Church Leadership Lets You Down. 
It's our most viewed sermon on YouTube. It's got over a thousand views. And um, most of ours have like 20 views. That one's got a thousand views. And uh, in there, uh, a lot of people, I guess, have been either uh, they were looking for salacious rumors or gossip or uh, they were looking for help, maybe a combination of the two. But in there, I shared about all of the times in church that I have been wounded and hurt. I have left feeling awful. I've seen things happen in church that are just ugly. Here I am. I've been in church since nine months before I was born. And uh, my mom uh, uh, took me to church. My mom and dad were in church when, when I was conceived. And here I am, 38 years and nine months, almost 39 years old. I've been in church. And can I tell you, this church has been way, 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 way more good for me than it has hurt me. Way, way, way more good for me. And if you'll stick it out, my friend, you'll stay in church. You'll give your heart to the Lord. Yes, you're going to see and experience some things that are hurtful. You're going to be disappointed from time to time. But God's purpose in church is to shield you from the sin and pain and hurt in the world and help you to grow. I'm thankful Brother Jason a few minutes ago took way more time than he was supposed to. Amen? And uh, shared with us, I thought, man, he's going to preach for me this morning. I'm off the hook. So uh, he just got going up here. But uh, I remember when Jason and Joy rolled into our church back in January of 2017. I had only been the pastor here just a few short months, and I got a call from Jason's mom, and Jason was in a really bad place and uh, really battling some demons. And I spoke with Joy, and uh, Joy had told me she's like, "Well, I'm not uh, really Baptist; I'm Catholic." And uh, they made their way uh, here, and Joy made it very clear, "I'm only here to support him, and then I'm going back to my Catholic church." But God began to work on both of their hearts, and, and the Lord began to help uh, Jason and. Listen, to Jason and Joy have everything figured out? I think they'd be the first to tell you they don't. But God has really done a marvelous work of grace in their life and in their home. Here they are, five years removed. And I think they both would tell you church has been a lot more good for them than it has hurt them in any way. Have there been offenses along the way? Have there been bumps in the road? Of course. But my friend, if you'll stick it out, church will be precious for you too. Peter, what else is precious? Number three, notice Peter says the founder of the church is precious. Not only the foundation, but the one who founded it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 7. The Bible says, Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. He is precious. Take the name of Jesus with you. Child of sorrow and of woe, it will joy and comfort give you. Take it then, where'er you go. Take the name of Jesus ever as a shield from every snare. If temptation round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Oh, the precious name of Jesus, how it thrills our souls with joy when His loving arms receive us and His songs our tongues employ. At the name of Jesus bowing, falling prostrate at His feet, King of kings in heaven will crown Him when our journey is complete. If you know it, sing it with me. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. There's a name above all others. Wonderful to hear, bringing hope and cheer. It's the lovely name of Jesus. 
Evermore the same. What a lovely name. Through His name, uh, 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 through His name, here's wondrous power. Power to redeem, making sinners clean. By His power, He redeemed the leper, opened blinded eyes, caused the dead to rise. He'll return in clouds of glory. Saints of every race shall behold His face. With Him enter heaven's city, ever to proclaim, what a lovely name. What a lovely name, the name of Jesus. Reaching higher far than the brightest star. Sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim. What a lovely name. Oh, this Sunday morning, are you thankful for all that Jesus has done for you? Are you thankful this morning that He saved your soul? Is He precious to you? Is He precious to you? Peter, you are a rough and rugged man. Yes, I am, he replies. Peter says, but I have spent some time with Jesus. And he has taught me about things that are valuable and precious. Peter, what is it that is precious? Well, Peter says, the blood of Jesus is precious. The foundation of the church is precious. The founder of the church is precious. Peter, is there anything else to you that you find precious? Yes, Peter says, there's one more thing. Well, what is that, Peter? Notice lastly, the trial of your faith is precious. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse number 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. What are you saying, Peter? Peter, are you saying that your faith is precious? No, Peter replies. I'm not saying that my faith is precious. I am saying that the trial of my faith is precious. The trial of my faith is precious. You see, my friend, we all want faith. And we all want to have a strong belief in God. And we all want to be able to look at the problems that come in our life and say, my faith is greater than that problem. And my faith is greater than this weakness. And my faith is big and strong in the Lord. But Peter didn't say that his faith was precious. He said that the trial of his faith is precious. As Christians, as American Christians, as pampered, coddled, spoiled, rotten Christians. We love comfort and we love uh, pleasure and we worship these things and we want life to be easy and we pay big money so that our, our, our chair and our desk is just right and our bed is just right and our home, our climate control in our homes are just right. Let's see here. This morning we came in and it was 67 degrees. How many of you came in this morning and you thought, boy, it's a little bit chilly in the church auditorium this morning? How many ladies think it's always chilly? In the Andrew, you're not a lady. What are you raising your hand for back there? Um, I think it's it's chilly in here. I found that 70 degrees is the go-to temperature. And um, anytime it gets colder than that, people complain. Anytime it gets warmer than that, people complain. We're so we're so coddled, aren't we? Aren't we coddled? Uh, one of the greatest inventions of the last 30 years has been auto start on a vehicle. Amen. You sit in your uh, office. 
and uh, you go over to the window and you beep beep that uh, engine and then uh, you get in and it's nice and toasty. How many have that feature on your car, right? Isn't it great? Some of you go, I wish I had that feature on my car. Amen. It's a great feature to have. And uh, we, we're, just, we're just coddled and we want things to be just right. I find, listen up, I find that Christians often become bewildered with God. And they say, why? Why could God say that He loves me and allow this hardship to hit my life? Oh, I'm not talking about just a little time of discomfort. I'm talking about something that has greatly altered who you are. I'm talking about the death of a child. I'm talking about the betrayal of a spouse. I'm talking about having a job just ripped away from you in an unfair manner. I'm talking about false accusations that have been raised against you and torn your reputation apart. I'm talking about a chronic illness that plagues you with no end in sight. You see, we start out maybe with a good attitude about it and we think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure I'm going to make it. And then our faith begins to wane. And then we begin to question God. Why did you take Him from me? Why do you allow me to hurt like this? Why have you loved me, Lord? Why have you allowed my name to be drugged through the mud unfairly? Why have you allowed the pain and hurt and heartache? And then we go from questioning God to where we become embittered toward God. God, I just don't think you love me anymore. Lord, you wouldn't have let this happen. And Peter steps back and says, The trial of my faith is precious. Well, Peter, how is your faith being tried? Peter says it's being tried by fire. And that fire gets turned up under me. And all of the maladies, all of the impurities of my life rise rise to the top and are exposed. Peter, are you glad for your faith? Peter says, I'm thankful for my faith, but I'm more thankful for the process that purifies my faith. Because the process that purifies my faith is uncomfortable, and the process that purifies my faith hurts. It's a potter at the wheel who's tearing away things out of my life that don't belong so the Lord can shape me and make me exactly into who I need to be. Peter, are you thankful today? Yes, Peter says, uh, what is precious to me is not just my faith, it is the trial of my faith. Some of you this morning, you need to stop complaining and griping and, and, and blaming God over the hardships of your life and you need to get on your knee. You need to say, Lord, I don't know what you're trying to teach me, but Lord, I know that you love me and Lord, I want to become thankful and I want to cherish and I want to value the very fire under me that is making me into a better person. And my friend today, if you can bend a knee and you can tell, Lord, thank you. With the fire. Thank you. It's precious to me. 
Because I don't just want to know Philippians 4, I don't only want to know, or rather chapter 3, I don't only want to know uh, the, 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 the power of your resurrection. Lord, I want to know the fellowship of your supper. Because then and only then can I truly know the heart of my Savior. I don't know what you're going through this morning, per se, but I know this, God has a master plan. And you need to trust the heart of your Savior. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The songwriter said, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. In His presence daily live. And then it says this, I surrender all. Christian, do you surrender all or do you surrender some? Are the things that are precious to the Lord precious to you? Are the things that are precious to you precious to the Lord? How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, God is speaking to my heart about some things in my life that need to change. Pastor Lejeune, there's some attitudes, there's some passions in my life that need to change. Here's my hand. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Hold them up. Don't be ashamed. Hold them up. Put them down. Is there one here today who would say, Pastor, the precious blood of Jesus has not yet washed away my sin. I've not put my faith in Christ alone to save me. Here's my hand. Would you please pray for me? Is there one here? I do not know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. Is there one this morning? I don't see your hand. Why don't we take just a few minutes? Why don't we ask God to help us? To value those things that He values. Maybe your attitude toward a trial needs to change this morning. Why don't you ask God to help you with that attitude? Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.